She's passionate about telling stories of amazing women who are rocking the world and empowering women to live, love, and thrive. Here's your host, Katherine Gray. Hi, welcome to Live, Love, Thrive Women's Empowerment Hour. And we have on an amazing guest today, Dr. Anka Barbu. And we are so excited to talk to her because not only is she the only Harvard-trained voice box surgeon here in Beverly Hills, but she also has an amazing story of her family moving from Romania uh, to the United States. And it's an uh, incredible story. And I can't wait to share it with you. So please welcome Dr. Barbu. Hi, Dr. Barbu. How are you? I'm well today. You know, it's interesting how you and I met because uh, my friend Gray Morell, who you had helped, um, had turned me on to you uh, when I was having a voice problem uh, about a year ago. I know, I'm and, so excited. And uh, I was so freaked out. I um, was told I had like a, 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 what do you call it, a vocal cord that was paralyzed or whatever. And uh, I was so nervous about it. You know, I think everybody, everybody realizes, you know, how important their voice is right of course and especially you know uh, not only if you're a podcast host but you know if you're just in in everyday life it's so important to be able to talk and I remember people saying what are you saying and I'm like oh no this is a nightmare and I went to you and you gave me hope and you told me what to do and even what to eat I was so amazed that what we eat impacts uh, our throat and, and, and it's healing and it was just amazing. So anyway, I'm so glad that our cross of path, our paths have crawled, crossed and that you're on my show today finally. Well, wonderful. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And and I think you're totally right, Catherine. I think we don't think about how important our voice is till something happens to it. Exactly. And whether you're, like you said, a podcaster, you're, you're um, a mother who has to speak to her children, a teacher who has to teach. Any, anybody. Anybody. And I know you work on a lot of famous musicians, uh, Megan Trainer and the band Journey and, and, and all of these. I know you can't mention many, uh, all of them, but a lot of uh, celebrities and musicians that, you know, their voice is very important. But like you're saying, it's important to everybody. Exactly. Everyone. Exactly. Yeah. And, uh, and yes, indeed, there's a lot I can't say, so we won't talk too much about naming names, but... Um, anybody who has to use their voice it's you know you, we come out of the womb crying yeah. and screaming and using your voice and as we get older and uh, our vocal signature is a lot of our identity so yes. i think it's very important and it's not until something happens yeah. even a transient laryngitis i had laryngitis last week patients yes. were coming in and and kind of saying oh the irony of it you know <laughs> right but, but i talk all the time i talk to patients i yeah. talk to my kids i talk to my husband i mean yeah we're talking today and so I was worried I might still have laryngitis on our show today so here we are it's important and I'm glad our paths crossed this way and I want to say this too you know uh one of the most important things with a doctor I think is that you feel comfortable with them and I I was really nervous about this voice thing like would my voice come back was it gonna get worse was yeah and uh you were just so comforting and connective and authentic and amazing and that's why I wanted to have you on the show because I know not only are you you like you know famous at cedars you know for your prolific abilities um and and i also even just having you on the show got to learn about your amazing background which we're going to talk about your journey here to america um but i i just wanted to say that that you know not only are you just like 
this smart, amazing doctor woman. <laughs> and, you know, we know there's not a lot of female doctors in this field, um, but also just a wonderful human being. Well, thank you yeah. so much. Thank you. Yeah. I do think that a lot um, of who I am, obviously, you know, from my parents and what I've seen and learned, but yeah. also just the journey. And, and yeah. I think being the only woman in this, you know, in my practice here, in my practice in Boston, a lot of times there is that little bit of uh, of a nuance that just comes with having a female physician. Yes. And so I think uh, the the ability to relay information and the ability to kind of do it in a nurturing way that that a lot of people have that option and ability I, it's just something that I enjoy doing. I enjoy yeah having the conversations with patients yeah. and explaining what's going on, not just here's your diagnosis, you have paralysis, yeah. you know, come back and see me in, in three weeks or right. whatnot. It's, let's explain, you know, what that is, why it happened, how it happened, and how, how we can, can do fix it. it. Yeah, how we can fix it, yeah. what we can do about it. And so it's, a, it's the whole process. Yeah. So um, let's talk about your family. Uh, and this is one of the things I love about the show is that, you know, I think on a daily basis, whether when we go to a doctor, let's say, we don't know their backstory, <laughs> you right. know, uh, we don't know. Yeah. We just know that they're an amazing doctor and, you know, but your backstory was so incredible. Um, and in, in this time that we're talking about immigration and, um, you know, should we be letting immigrants into our country? This is just like a perfect example. Here you are, one of the most prolific, you know, voice box surgeons in the country. You studied with the best and um, your family migrated here from Romania. You literally escaped communism. You're, you, I know you shared with me that your dad first went to Germany mm -hmm. and then sent for you all a year or two later. Yeah. Wow. That's like... Really talk about a rough childhood. <laughs> yeah, that's really an incredible story. And um, uh, just a little side note uh, to for people to understand about living in a communist country. Uh, you had shared with me this story about your dad had sent you from Germany these the Haribo gummy bears, mm -hmm. and you were so excited. I was. And I was you shared them with your little kid. friends because you were a kid. Yeah, and how you got in trouble like that the communists sent the secret police to your house because you had this foreign product in your house that you weren't allowed to have. I mean, something as simple as that. I mean, I think people that live here in America take these things for granted that they don't understand what it's like to live in a communist country and why people want to leave yeah. there. Your, your dad was an economist, spoke about mm -hmm. economy, and couldn't do that in a communist yeah. country. No, he was a he has his PhD in economics, and he was a professor at the university. Yeah. That's where he met my mom, and um, just realized that that was not a place where he could foster his passion and grow in that kind of an environment. And so, at the time in the eighties, seventies, eighties, it was really hard. I mean, he um, as a professor had invitations to to go speak at other universities, but it always had to be within the Eastern Bloc. So the first opportunity that he finally, you know, proved himself that he was going to go speak and come back. And then he went to, to give a lecture and, and didn't. And it was a plan. It didn't come back. It didn't. Yeah. It was a plan my parents had. Um, but that then it left my mom and I. And here I am as a little kid, like, where's dad? And then he sends me these um, these gummy bears. Every time yeah. I see him at the grocery store, yeah. uh, um, I remember because I, I saw this little packet of Haribo. And like you said, I was so excited to share them. And, and there's a whole nother, you know, 
level that even to this day as an adult, I, I don't probably really know the full extent of it. Uh, right. My mom has since passed away, and, and my dad to this day doesn't really talk much about it. I, right. And and so it's when my kids, when we're at the grocery store and my kids want this or want that, and it's so such an easy access for right. them, um, I always think back on, on how it was when we didn't yeah. have that, you know, the, there was foreign goods were not allowed. I mean, if you were um, a visitor to the yeah. Eastern Bloc and you went to the Black Sea, you could, with foreign currency, purchase like Tic Tacs and gummy bears. But as a Romanian, you were not allowed to have foreign currency. Wow, and so that, was that a, is just mind blowing. And for me, being born in America and growing up here and not knowing that, I really appreciate these stories being shared, you know, of what it's like uh, and that we have to really appreciate where we live but then also realize why it's so important to bring in the talent and the people uh, for hu humanity reasons um, uh, into the United States and so I know I, I know there's a lot of people that are so glad your family migrated oh, here well thank you no you know? we did yeah. we did as a as my dad sought political asylum and received it and I know that so many people have much harder stories and much more complex stories, and sometimes uh, everybody's journey is their own. Yeah. But I think having had that foundation, that closeness with my family and their support really allowed me to go from you know coming to America with not speaking a word of English right. and learning it off of a German English uh, you know dictionary to right. you know teaching at Harvard. Right. So you did your under oh and I love the story how you ended up in LA so you're you're in you land in Manhattan yeah that's right your New mother's York. not crazy about it no we went from yeah. uh, Germany uh, subways in the eighties to Manhattan subways in the eighties so anybody yeah. who's lived in Manhattan in the eighties no it wasn't knows too, it wasn't, wasn't too cool it wasn't yeah. too great and uh, so we were in Manhattan and on one of those street kiosks we picked up a map of the U S and. You know, my dad says, okay, where do you want to go? I'm an only child. So I, I ended up picking the largest black dot next to water. And that was Los <laughs> Angeles. So that's how we ended up in Los Angeles in the early 80s. That's an incredible story, isn't uh, it? In December yeah. with uh, winter coats from New York. And all I could remember is palm trees. And looking up in the taxi cab ride at the palm trees from the back window. And to this day, everybody who knows me personally knows I have this affinity for palm trees and that view. That was my first view yeah. of what. America with kind of hold. Wow. It wasn't the lights of, of New York and all that. I, I do appreciate, but it was the, the sunny palm trees in December. Yeah. And um, you I, felt like you were home. Well, I didn't know yeah. it was home at the yeah. time. It was a new place. Right. It was so foreign to me. Right. And so who but sees palm good. trees? But it felt good. Yeah. And the sun on your face as a kid in December felt yeah. amazing. Yeah. And to this day, I have a, a huge um, painting at my house of the palm trees in oh. Oh, um, I love that, that. That reminds me of that moment. Oh, my God. I yeah. love that story. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, and then you ended up going to UCLA. I did. For undergrad. For undergrad. Mm -hmm. um, and then uh, went to, um, the f was it the first women's college for medicine uh, that, that allowed yeah. women to go into medicine? That's right. In Philadelphia. It was right. the Women's Medical College of Pennsylvania. Oh. And it was the first ever medical school in the U.S. that women were allowed to go to. Now, when did they... Uh, allow women like do you know what year in the 1800s in, in the, the 1800s. 1800s so in the 1800s was when they first allowed Created women it, yeah. to go wow well, that's the got first, a great history it is philadelphia yeah. as a medical community has an amazing history it was the yeah. first hospital in, in the united states was in philadelphia oh. most people don't realize that they think it's new york or boston it was actually in philadelphia and then um some of the first medical schools and of course the first woman uh women's medical school and yeah. that's where 
um, I went. I wanted to experience. Um, I'd grown up in California, and after UCLA, I told my parents the opposite. Now I want to go to the other side again. Yeah. So I went to the East Coast and and um, spent time in med school there, and then did my residency training um, at Case Western, and then my fellowship in Boston at, at Mass General. So. And so then you began to train with the top voice box um, surgeon in in the world, right? Yeah. At Harvard, yeah. Steve so, Sattel is amazing man. So how Very fabulous talented. was that opportunity? Um, yeah, it was. Um, it was a, at a point in my life where it was. Um, my mom had just passed away. Oh, and, I'm so sorry. And yeah. I had, it's been years now, and, and I had really realized that what I enjoyed doing in the surgical subspecialty was working on vocal cords. And so I did my round of interviews, and I um, went to Boston and met with Steve Zytels, and uh, we connected a little bit over this history of medicine and the Women's Medical College because the, one of the founding father, fathers of what we do, Chevalier Jackson, was actually at the Women's Medical College, and he created a lot of the instruments and, and the procedures that in America were used to explore uh-huh. the, the throat yeah. and the airways at, at my medical school. And right. he went uh-huh. to his file cabinet, and anybody who knows Steve Zytel knows he's a great historian, not only a great surgeon, and he went to his file cabinet and pulled out this letter from Chevalier Jackson that, that he had gotten you know, at some auction or somewhere from an, mm-hmm. a, an antique source, and we just we hit it off and he um uh we matched in the in the in the fellowship and so i stayed there to do a research year with him and a and a um, surgical fellowship um, training year and then he asked me to stay on as faculty i was thought i might come back after that but it's kind of hard when when you get that opportunity to turn it down so i was with him and practiced there for six years oh my gosh and so you helped train the students. Yeah. Well, yeah. we uh, as faculty at Harvard, you can tr- um, teach at the medical school. So right. I did that, and uh, and then I we trained fellows. So we trained about when I was there um, about a dozen fellows between the time that uh, wow. I started with him and I finished. And now they're all over the country. They're great friends of mine. And if one of my patients is in Miami, I know who to send in Miami. If one yeah. is in New York, I know who to send in New York. And oh, that's and fantastic. it creates a family. It's really kind yeah. of a so I know everyone's going to want to know, how did you leave that awesome opportunity and end up in L.A., at back in L.A. at Cedars? Yes, it's, it's hard to, to say no to Harvard after a while. It's, yeah. um, what happened was actually my husband and I got married um, in 2013. And, yeah. and, and for those who don't know, and I'll, I'll explain it, he is a priest. He is a Catholic priest, so everybody gets confused. How can he be a Catholic priest and married? But um, he was—it's um, a, a subsection called the Byzantine Catholic and they're Church, allowed to get and they're allowed to get married um, once they've um, gotten married. Then they can be ordained. So he finished his theology and uh, and uh, work, and so then we got married. And the bishop called one day and said, "Okay, there's a church or a parish in California." in Los Angeles, and we really kind of want you to go out there and as a young, you know, priest with a family, really establish that It's kind of unbelievable that it was L.A. where you were from. Mm -hmm. Oh, and you mentioned to me he's from Romania. That's right. Oh, my gosh. I know. Neither one of us ever thought we'd marry another (laughs) Romanian. We met in in Ohio, and then um, now here we are in California. And so his parish is in Sherman Oaks, and he's a 
chaplain in the Providence Healthcare System. Wait, didn't you tell me you got married back in Romania? We did a destination wedding. Right, we right. did. Yeah. We decided to share our home country with our closest friends. So we had about twenty-five uh, folks from America, physicians from all over, from oh uh, New York to to Ohio to our friends in San Diego, and they yeah. all flew out to Romania for this destination wedding, and we hit up Dracula's castle and oh, had. And but a lot of people don't know now that the communism is. Yeah, was, it, is it gone fell now. in 89. In 89, Yeah, once right. the Eastern Bloc and the Berlin Wall came down. And you hadn't been back there until like nine. Yeah, the in, in the early 90s. It was the first time, right. so about 10 years after we left. And how did it feel when you went back? And I, I, I also want to mention at your wedding, you said the, the president and first lady of Romania were at your wedding. Yes, actually wow. they were. Um, uh, Carmen, uh, she, Johannes, she's one of my uh, good friends, and um, her husband used to be the, the mayor of the town that I grew up in. And um, so, yes, they were at our wedding, and then uh, we've seen each other. He also um, did um, some teaching at the uh, Kennedy School at Harvard, so when they were on oh, that side, we'd meet up. That's and, how you reconnected? Yeah, we reconnected, and so now uh, every time I go back, we get to have at least a lunch or a dinner together. That is a cool story. So, so when you went back to Romania, how how was it different now that the communism wasn't there? Was it... Was it, is it capitalist? Is it, is it, you know, it's a it's work still, in progress. Yeah, it's would, still a long way from the U.S., it. yeah. I, right. I think it's a work in progress. And obviously, um, I think a lot has changed. And sometimes the um, the differences in classes shows up even more, unfortunately, mm -hmm. because oh. um, there's people who certainly are still um, following in some beliefs from the old communist regime and that's not right. helping things and right. so because i mean i would imagine you say okay it's no longer communism it doesn't it just can't change overnight it, it won't yeah and people's yeah. beliefs people who they are fundamentally uh, it's hard to change people i right. mean it doesn't matter in what specialty what field yeah uh, and if some of the core values were still some that were under that time it's very hard to do that so right. and your your daughters uh how old are they my daughters are, uh, this is, you caught me on the one month when they're one year apart, they're three and four. But oh. come next month, they'll be three and five. So oh, they're. Wow. And you've taken them back there? I've taken uh, our oldest. Our oldest, uh, I had to unfortunately go to a um, close family member's funeral in November, which is when right. we were supposed to do this. Right. And, right. Um, so and she traveled. She and yeah. I went by ourselves, and she was the, uh, it's um, a very wonderful. Mm -hmm you know, traveler and partner to have. Yeah. I mean, we um, had a long flight from L.A. with layovers, but she wanted to push her own suitcase. She wanted to meet everybody. <laughs> she wanted to Oh, it sounds like the apple and learn. doesn't fall yeah. far from the tree. She's, <laughs> she's great. a little tough one, she's, huh? she's four going, I think, on like 14 already. So she is. Right, right. Oh, that's awesome. Um, and and you're, um, you were saying to me that, you know, because it's such a male-dominated industry, as most things are, um, that uh, it was a challenge, uh, you know, being um, like they have no idea, men, uh, you know, what it's like to be a mom and a, uh, a, a full time doctor. I mean, it's I mean, obviously, I don't, yeah. don't want to make any yeah. uh, assumptions. There are a lot of wonderful men, my husband included, who are yeah. very hands on in their families. Sure, um, sure. I think it's it's hard, though, sometimes when your kids, you know, kids identify parents by their roles. So mom and dad. And so. 
for example, I come home from work and they want mom to put them to sleep. So if I'm on call and I'm stuck at the hospital and we're doing something, then usually the kids have a a little bit of a harder time. And then that derails into at this young age, a few days of still, you know, reeling from the side effects of, you know, uh, delayed sleep or they want certain things only mom can do and so that's the hard part because you're 100 percent mom and you're 100 percent doctor and 100 percent wife and we all wear different hats i'm sure you know obviously you feel like you've gotten the balance down it's a work in progress (laughs) it's a work in progress i think maybe when i look back at 90 or 100 even then i'll say i'm still learning yeah so being in Beverly Hills, at the, you know, quite a famous uh, place. Cedars uh, is one of the best in the country, I think. It is. Um, uh, what is it like uh, working there? I know you have a lot of celebrity clientele. And, uh, you know, how, does, how do you handle that situation? Uh, you know, are you, do you ever get starstruck? Well, first of all, I have to tell you, I have the best team. I'm so fortunate when I came. I yeah. do think that there was a greater being watching over me. When I came here, I have an amazing team at Cedars, not yeah. just my partners, who I have nine other men surgeons I work with and four other PAs that are amazing women. But right. I've so got a, whole a great team. It's a great team. And I've got my my assistant and my medical assistant. And they are my what we call our squad. So we have the, the they're so cute. They named it the Barbu squad. But I can't do what I do without them. Right. So I think a lot of the times when if somebody, uh, you know, that may be well known in the community or or in the world comes in, they do a really good job of kind of Being filling me in and low key and helping. And, and I yeah. think one of the biggest compliments that I've gotten from patients is that I just, we have an amazing team at Cedars from the first person they see when they walk in right. and from they A say to hello yeah. to when they leave. I, I really don't think we could do it without them. And the, and, and, you know, the guy who really started that practice at Cedars has built an amazing practice. Gene Liu is really just top-notch that he's put together a team that works so well together. Oh, so, so you're fortunate. Yeah. Um, what is the th- uh, thing you're most proud of, uh, you know, in in helping people? Like, what what is some of the stories that you might be able to share? Not necessarily who, unless sure. that you want to, uh, but, you know, what are, what are issues that people have with their throat that you surgically can fix or help with so any like we talked about anybody who has a voice problem so if your voice has changed for more than three weeks that's my one little plug to get it checked out but what happens is um, that in my specialty it's very rewarding because when somebody undergoes whether it's a surgical or non-surgical treatment plan the first time they use their voice again it's literally a a tear-jerking moment i mean i i I specifically have a box of kleenex on my desk because the floodgates open you know when you hear your voice again when it's the voice that you want to read to your children or that you want to say i love you to your loved one it is very emotional it is a very emotional moment and it's not just about a singer who can now go on tour again who is actually you know obviously a big deal because not just for them but everybody else that they're entertaining right but it's, you know, for, for cancer patients who have, I, so I treat laryngeal cancer as well uh-huh. in the early stages when uh, we're able to still treat it surgically right. and, and spare chemo and radiation if possible. Right. And so, those, so you can remove it and then they mm-hmm. get their voice back. Yeah. So, and, and, and people 
uh, lose their voice when they have like cancer? Or, uh, well, when there's a growth on the vocal cords, whether mm -hmm. it's good or bad, it changes the, the vocal gotcha. pitch. And right. so, and paralysis. I mean, right. you remember how your voice sounded when right. I first met you? Yes. And so when that returns, it yeah. is such, it, it's one of the favorite it, it parts of my job. It does bring you to job. tears. It, it does. does. It brings you to tears to lose your voice and it brings you to tears to have it come back. Yeah. So I've cried with my patients oh, before. Oh, I believe it. You know, you're such an amazing person and I, I love that you love what you're doing and you're so good at it. I think Thank when you. we do what we love, we are good at it. But Yeah, when um, you wake up in the morning yeah. and, and show up for what you enjoy, then it just shows. Yeah. Well, keep making that wonderful difference in the world. Thank you. And thank you for you being too. a guest today. Thank, thank you. you. And we will see you all next week, same place, same time. Thanks so much for tuning in. Make it a great week. Hugs and happiness.